let's go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to pick up where we left off. Now, I know it's been just a bit, and we were in chapter 2, and we started uh, going through some of the first part. Um, <clears throat> so if some of this is repetitive, and some of it I've already said, uh, just again reestablishing um, you know, our footing in this chapter. And in, um, in this chapter, we find that Paul basically gives uh, four specific warnings. And, and, and I want to identify these four warnings that we see. The first warning that we see is in verse 2, or just give me chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And again, this is dealing with and addressing what we've already kind of talked about in the first part, which is this preeminence of the Word of God. And again, this is part of what he's establishing here is the preeminence of Christ and the preeminence of his word. Because he says, and he starts talking about all of this in in that, in those first three verses, talking about in Christ are hid, what does that say? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we know by comparing scripture with scripture, line upon line and precept upon precept, we know that this knowledge and this wisdom that comes from God comes specifically from the Word of God and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And we know that this is an important principle for us as Christians because without wisdom, without knowledge, we're flying blind. We're flying blind. And and that's that's a difficult place to be. We have no guidance. We have no direction. As we've been talking about on Wednesday, we've been talking about uh, the seven spirits over there in Isaiah chapter 11 that uh, were given to Christ. And, uh, you know, it's very clear that when we take a look at what Christ is doing, it's it's pretty important for us to understand that he's setting an example of wisdom and knowledge. As we talked about, those are some of the spirits that we see over there in that passage in Isaiah chapter 11. But one of the things that we find here specifically with this is we find this first warning talking about the beguiling, the beguiling. And it is a very important warning for all of us. We should not be beguiled by somebody that just happens to say the right thing. I mean, we, we live in a day and age where people uh, um, very clearly are going to, if you will, have a, 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 a you know, this, this idea and this concept of, of what we're looking at with enticing words. They're going to be having this, if you will, dare I say, very eloquent um, uh, um, trying, the, the word is just escaping me right now, and I'm trying to think of it. I had that word in my head, and now it's gone. That happens, you know. Uh, but you know, the, people are going to try to uh, pull people to their side. You know, we we live in a day and age where everybody is divided. There's divisions. There's divisions on the right. There's divisions on the left. There's divisions here. There's divisions there. It's all about, well, what is it that is going to entice that person? There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of argument. There's a lot of apologetics going on. There's a lot of those things that occur. And and we find that people 
will come about with some enticing words. They will try to say the right thing to get you to do what they want you to do. They're going to try to say the things to get you to think the way they want you to think. And what Paul calls that here is a beguiling. A beguiling. And again, we live in a day and age where that's popular. I mean, it is all over the place. It's it's being force-fed to us. It's being force-fed to our children. It's being force-fed to... To, to society as a whole. And and some people are choking on it, and we should, because we shouldn't want to have they hear these things. But I'll tell you this, if we are searching for those treasures of knowledge and wisdom in Christ, we are not going to be deceived. We are not going to be beguiled by somebody. We're not going to, it's not going to be like the serpent beguiling Eve in the garden. Saying, hey, well, that's not really what God meant. And, and we find that today. There's a lot of people, I'm sorry, today, in this day and age, you cannot have a, a, a good, solid discussion with a person any longer. And I'm talking about a discussion where there's a difference of an opinion. Because everybody then comes to this, well, that's just my truth. And it's like, how do you argue that? You sit there and say, well, the truth is the word of God. And then they go, well, I understand and I believe the Bible, but I don't believe that the Bible is is pertinent to us. What does that mean? I mean, you're just like, how do you argue that? We, we, when you sit there and say, well, okay, yeah, you believe the Bible exists. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously it's in print. It's right here. It's right on this pulpit. You know, most of us have many copies of it. It's on our phones and so on and so forth. People talk about it all the time. But then they'll sit there and say, well, I don't believe that that's what God meant. So when it says, uh, uh, for the wages of sin is death, well, I don't really believe that God meant that. Then why did he write it? Well, I think it was just a suggestion. I, 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 I don't, I don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. I've had this discussion before with many people. I believe that, that it, it's like, it's like our house. There's many ways into our house. Yeah. Well, Jesus Christ said, if you don't come through the gate, you're a thief and a robber. So what does that mean? That means if you're trying to get salvation any other way, you're trying to rob God. Yeah. What does it say about the strong man in the house when he kept, you know, gets it close to the robber? That's not a good thing. It's a fearful thing to be hand, in the hands of an, uh, uh, the living God. It's a fearful thing over there in Hebrews, he says. That's a terrifying thought. It's a terrifying thought. Ever see some of those videos where people are trying to rob and then, uh, if you will, the strong man of the house comes out and he's armed and he's pointing something at the person that's not prepared for that and they're dropping to their knees begging, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. And they're captured. I tell you, you know, one of the key things is, is in today's day and age, people will try to, you know, enter through any other way through enticing words. 
And this is why he's giving this warning to the Colossians. So one of the first warnings we see, I want to go through the other warnings and then we'll kind of fill in some of those verses. Let's jump to, ch- to, to chapter two, verse eight. In chapter two, verse eight, he says, beware, beware. If somebody says beware, you, you, you know, you should be aware. That's what this is about. You should be cognizant of what's going around, going on. He says, beware. He says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So he gets even more to it. He says, okay, look, you can listen to the, you know, the, the, or excuse me, don't listen to these fancy words that are out there and these eloquent speakers and these great statesmen and orders that are out there saying things. And they may sound good. It may sound solid. But some of the stuff you got to be careful with. You got to be careful with. You know, and again, we see people jumping on the bandwagon of people that say certain things that entice them, right? And whether we're talking about people like, uh, uh, you know, either on the right or on the left, and I'll just use the right as an example, whether it's uh, Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson or Donald Trump, or they'll say certain things. Well, look, they're not Christ. Ben Shapiro isn't even saved. He's rejected Jesus Christ wholly. And when we realize exactly what he's saying, he is the typical Jewish person that we see today that is blinded. So when he starts talking about the Bible, I take it with a grain of salt. I, I, I look at what the Bible says. I don't listen to him. He may be one of those good, you know, people that can argue and debate and, you know, seem to seemingly destroy people from a podium. But that's enticing words. Now he's talking about spoiling through what he says here is philosophy and vain deceit. I was in college. I took philosophy. Uh, and here I am, a young Christian man, um, still, you know, very young in the faith, um, and, uh, just, uh, having some knowledge and, uh, not necessarily, it's like having a box of all the puzzle pieces, but not really understanding where all of it goes yet. And, um, I was, uh, in, in philosophy class and, uh, that's always a dangerous thing. Um, you know, they start talking about, uh, Socrates and Plato and all the rest of those guys uh, that were really all they were, were, were humanists. They were just, uh, glorifying themselves in the flesh and basically trying to elevate man, uh, which is again, the biggest religion of the day. It's not Islam. It's not Roman Catholic church. None of those things, and people talk about those growing religions. No, the biggest and the most popular growing religion today is humanism. It's called the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. People that have said in their heart, there is no God. The people that reject Christ, God, and his word. And we see here he's talking about philosophy and I remember sitting in that philosophy class many times rolling my eyes 
Because all it was, was essentially, it was like a debate class. We had a, a textbook, but the tests never came out of that. I don't even actually remember ever taking a test in that class. It was all based on, 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 on participation. If you sat in the back and you never participated, you got an F. You wanted, you wanted spirited debate. Because that's part of what philosophy is about. Debate. And one of the things that uh, he pointed out was talking about truth. And he happened to call on me. He said, uh, Mr. Stewart, what do you believe is truth? How would you define truth? And I did the youth group answer. The Bible. <laughs> and, uh, and you know what? Some of the people in the class chuckled and laughed. And he jumped on them and he said, don't do that. He said, I don't want you, I don't want you doing that in this class. He says, this young man says that the Bible is truth to him. He has a stance. He has, if you will, a philosophy of what he believes as truth. And he said, that's not something that I would ever mock. And he actually had me participate in those discussions when it came up to things about morals, about choices, about those things, because he wanted to know, what does Scripture say? Does it align with humanistic views? Does it align with societal uh, uh, perspectives? But I'll tell you this, you listen to the philosophy of the world, the philosophy of the, the, philosophy of the world today is follow your heart. Believe in yourself. Yeah, that leads to some horrible things. You know, you know what God calls that? They did that which was right in their own eyes. This morning I was reading over there in Deuteronomy chapter 12, and he warned them. There was a warning that was given there in Deuteronomy chapter 12. He says, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want that type of spirit and I don't want that type of mentality with you where you believe that you're doing that which is right in your own eyes. He says, no, you need to follow after God's statutes. You need to follow after God's statutes. And, and, uh, uh, and, and here Paul is warning the Corinthians. He says, don't listen to that philosophy. Don't listen to the philosophy. But then he points out, he says, I, I also don't want you listening to the vain, the, 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 the vain deceit. Now look, if somebody was to call you, or let, let's just put it in some more modern sense. Let's say you receive an email. You take a look at the email, and it starts off with, uh, Dear Sir Stewart, or something like that. And you're like, oh, this is weird. I'm not, I'm not a knight, so why would somebody say something like that? Uh, I, I am in need of your assistance. I am a Nigerian prince. <laughs> you know where I'm going. Now, now, if you don't know where I'm going, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, that, that whole scam of, of a Nigerian prince that needs to unlock millions of dollars, and he's willing to share his wealth with you. And give it to you for a, just a simple, simple down payment of, you know, whatever your life savings is. And, uh, <clears throat> in your bank account and everything else and your, your credit history and your ID and everything. 
Yeah, just go ahead and give me your mother's maiden name and, you know, your pet's name and everything else and, and, and we'll get this taken care of. I can get that money forwarded to you and, and nobody ever sees it. It's a scam, right? It's a scam. Or, or you get a phone call from, from the IRS saying they're coming over to arrest you for your back taxes. Look, the IRS doesn't give you a warning of phone call. They just send millions of letters to you and then show up at the door. But, but again, you know, they're, they're not, they're not coming to arrest you. And they're like, well, if you, you know, we have police on the way right now. I would, I would die laughing. I would die laughing if, if I got one of those phone calls that the police are on the way. And I would ask which one of the officers of Ridgefield are you sending? <laughs> which one? Because I really want to know because, you know, I'll invite them in and we'll sit down and have coffee. Because I know most of them, except for a couple of the new hires. They've been in this church with meetings and training sessions, dinners. Know the police chief next door. Please, please let me know which officer you're sending. You know what? That's vain deceit. We look at that and go... Yeah, all right, whatever. But why is it that we listen to it? Why is it that when we know it's something that is just so wrong, we still follow after it? Why is it that when we are going through difficult things in our life, all of a sudden we start listening to somebody else's counsel than God's? It's vain deceit. It's vain deceit. And he specifies why it's vain deceit, because it's after the tradition of men. You know, there are some traditions, they're just traditions, right? They're harmless traditions. But then you start looking at the traditions that the Pharisees had, and how they would made those on the same level of God. I was talking with one person one time, and we were talking about the Constitution of the United States. And, and, and the gentleman said, he said, here's the Bible, here's the Word of God, and here's the United States Constitution. It is almost divine, he said, it's almost as if it's divinely inspired and is the Word of God. And I'm like, no, it's not. It was written by men. It wasn't written by God. They may have been God-fearing men. They may have said certain things. They've been saved, born-again children of God. That may be the case. But just because they wrote it doesn't mean that that's, that's, that, that, that's gospel. That doesn't mean it's the Word of God. I believe it has an important principle here, but I will tell you this. This trumps anything that is in the Washington Constitution or the United States Constitution. The, the, the Bible is above that. There is nothing that compares to Scripture. There's no document, there's no book, there's nothing in literature, there's nothing that compares to the power that is behind the words of the Creator. And these people, it's all this philosophy and vain deceit is after the traditions of men. What man thinks, 
what man's opinions are, what man believes is important. You ever run into somebody where where tradition is like so important? You know, sometimes you find it right around the holiday season, and you can choose any holiday you want. You know, why is it that everybody's have to have the Easter ham? That doesn't make sense. You know, if you're going to do something around that time of year, why didn't you just do like what Passover and bring out the lamb? Eat that. Why is it we have to have turkey on Thanksgiving? <laughs> Take it somebody doesn't like turkey? <laughs> why, why, why can't we have a big, nice, perfectly cooked with nice bark on the outside, savory beef brisket. Then when you slice it open, the juices are just flowing out. (laughs) Some some homemade barbecue sauce. Why can't we have that? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I don't have the smoker and I don't have the, I don't have the means to cook something like that. But man, I'll sure go buy one. Bring that over. Oh, man, wouldn't that be good? Why can't we do that? Why can't we have chicken nuggets? You're like, uh, uh, why do we have to have a big meal in the first place? Why do we have to make the kitchen a complete disaster area? And then go in and spend the next three hours cleaning it and doing the dishes and running the dishwasher three or four times. Because you can't get all the dishes in there. Those are traditions. I mean, those are hard, fast rules, right? We have to do those things. They're all traditions of men. And this is what he's getting at. He says, you know, there's a lot of things in people in, in people's mind's eye about like how churches run. You have to sing before the, the, the service starts. You have to sing four hymns and have one piano special and have shaking of hands and have an offertory and have uh, uh, another singing special in there. So you've got a whole hour of all of that. And then you've got 30 minutes to preach a message. God forbid somebody go over. Mr. Stewart. <laughs> You know, God forbid that should happen. And then you turn around and, and, and then, you know, you've got that. And then you've got another three or four songs and you've got an invitation that sings all verses of just as I am. Now, look, I'm not mocking that song. Okay. Because I will, I will tell you this, just as I am is when I came to Jesus Christ. And as a sinner, he forgave me. And I am no longer that. I am a saint in his eyes. And praise God for that. But I want to make it very clear. People are like, well, you didn't have a church and you didn't worship if you didn't do that. We do things different. We sing at the end. We sing at the end. Is there a problem with that? Is that... Is that breaking a tradition where we're now ungodly? We've got a 48-star flag on the back over there because we don't recognize California and New York. 
Some of you are going to be like quickly counting the stars. Yeah, it's a 48 star. It's an internment flag that I pulled out of some uh, antique shop that was over somebody's casket at one point in time. That's sad that that was in an antique shop. But anyways, you take a look at that and you go, okay, is it is that is that a horrible thing? No. I mean, we start thinking about it and we start thinking about all those things and people get duped into those traditions so easily, don't they? And they start thinking that that's godliness and they start thinking that that's righteousness and they start thinking that that is is of God when it's just simply of men. And here he's warning the church at Colossae. He's saying, look, don't get caught up with that. How about you just focus on Christ? How about you focus on preaching him? How about you focus on on living the way he lived, living for him? How about you focus on doing that which is right in the eyes of God? Not what men say. And he says it's after the rudiments of the world. It's rudimentary. It's rudimentary. It's a base form. You know, there's certain things that are rudimentary in this life. Eating and sleeping. Right? Mm-hmm. They're basic. You got to do that. You don't do that, you either go mad or you die. It's a problem. But here he's saying it's base things of the world. It's things that, that if you will aren't giving God glory because it's just simply of this earth. And everything that we know about this earth is it just blows apart in the end, burns up. And he says it's not after Christ. It's not after Christ. This is why we have to be careful. If we call ourselves Christians... We have to be after Christ, after his heart, after his guidance, after his doctrines, after what he's, 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 he's teaching us, after those things that are found in the word of God. That becomes the primary directive of a Christian. And that's why I say there are, there are people that are believers. But I will say this, there are a lot of people that are believers that aren't Christians because they are not following Christ. They've got a testimony of when they trusted Christ as their Savior, but for some reason or another, they're not following Him. They're following men. They're following men. I've been to some of those churches. I've heard some of those people speak. And you know what? It's scary. It's scary. So he gives that second warning, and if you will, jump down to verse 16. Here he gives him the other warning, and we'll pick up these verses that we fill in in between here, but I just want to show these four warnings here and why they're very, very important. In verse uh, verse 16, he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. 
So right there in, in verse 16 and 17, he gives another warning. He says, don't let anybody do this. Now, now he said that very clearly, uh, in, in verse, um, in verse four, where he says, uh, talking about, uh, less than any man should beguile you. And obviously in verse eight, less than any man. This is the allowance, by the way. We do a lot of letting in our life. We let people affect us. We let people affect us. I've I've got a a saying, it was a little thing that I I, I clipped, and uh, it said, uh, don't... uh, don't complain about the people that suck the life out of you when you're the one that gives them the straw. I mean, you think about that for a moment. We allow people to do that. We allow people to affect our emotions. Now, allowing certain things to happen and allowing you to be sad and allowing to be happy, those are things that are scriptural and biblical. Emotions are not evil. They are given of God and they're to be used for his honor, glory, and pleasure. Okay? We understand that. But I'll make it very clear. If, if we allow somebody to get us angry for no reason, The taunting. I, I made a, I made a, a, if you will, kind of a purpose in my life when I was younger. You, you remember back in the day? Maybe I'm dating myself. Maybe I'm. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see here. Remember when people in school would 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 uh, taunt you and they would do the dare? Sure. I dare you. And then it's like I double dog dare you. I triple dog dare you. And you're like, look, at the, you, you, you lost me at the word dare. Correct. If you have to dare me to do something, I'm not going to do it because it's dumb. No, I'm not going to eat an ant. No, I'm not going to eat a worm. No, I'm not going to walk up there and punch that guy in the stomach. No, I'm not going to mouth off to the teacher. No, I'm not going to jump off of the highest part of the play, playground and see if I can fly. No, I'm not going to do those things. But there are people that do. There are people that sit there and go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to go ahead and take a, you know, uh, my, my little uh, uh, moped and I'm going to try to see if I can uh, jump and get to the other side of this building off the roof. And, you know, st- stupid things like that, right? We let people get to us, and we do that. We let people affect us emotionally. We let them make us make us mad and sad. We do things like that. You know, the only letting that we should be allowing in our life is the allowance of letting the Holy Spirit guide us and direct us and the word of God to influence us and convict us and to guide us and direct us and let God have his way with us. That's the letting that we should do. How about we let Christ do something in our life rather than other men? Did you notice that this is all that's going on here? If these three warnings that we've seen so far, Letting somebody else other than Christ have an effect on you. 
letting somebody else, I'll say it again, letting somebody else have an effect on your heart other than Jesus Christ. That is a warning to not have happen in your life. That is a big warning. He says, don't let somebody judge you for that. Some people celebrate Christmas, some people don't. It's not a big deal. Some people celebrate birthdays, some people don't. Some people celebrate anniversaries, some people don't. And then there's those that come along and they decide what's best for you. <clears throat> and they come along and they say, oh, you should never, you should never have, you know, do Christmas. Don't you know all about the bale bush over there in Jeremiah? That's not a bale bush, by the way, and that's not a Christmas tree. Read the context. And I'll say it again. Context, context, context. He's talking about idols and idolatry. He's not talking about a Christmas tree. But they adorn it and they deck it. And I'm like, why don't you read the rest of your Bible instead of piecemealing little things together for your own personal doctrines? People are like, well, it goes back to the pagan days. You know what? The pagans have always been worshiping trees. Yeah. Tree huggers, right? I'll never forget. You remember the spotted owl? How many of you remember the spotted owl? My dad worked in the, my dad worked in the lumber industry. And, and this was back when political correctness, wow, we just kind of threw that out the window. And he had a little, he had a little saying that, that he would give to the lumber yards because it was affecting them. And, and it, I forget if it was a bumper sticker or what it was. But the, the, the saying was, spotted owl tastes like chicken. <laughs> Try saying that today, all right? Now, look, I believe we should take care of what God has given us, and we should be good stewards of the earth that God has given us. And to not do so is sin, okay? But at the same time, we don't worship it. We don't bow down to it. We don't say we need to kill off uh, uh, you know, three quarters of the population to let this earth survive. No, God is going to handle that in the tribulation period. So, uh, we need to make sure that we follow what God talks about. He gave, you know, instructions. This is how you plant. Let the land rest. Rotate crops. Do things like that. There was all sorts of stuff that he did. But at the same time, we don't worship it. And here he is saying, look, don't let somebody judge you. Don't let somebody judge you in meat. You know what shrimp are? Yummy, tasty little things you put in the barbecue, right? Shrimp scampi, all those good things. Battered shrimp that you dip in, you know, sweet and sour sauce. Stuff like that, right? You know, they're bottom feeders. You know why you have to de-vein them? You know what that vein is? It's not really a vein. <laughs> I'll let you look that up, what that is. But, but, but you know, I'll tell you this. There are people out there that will say, don't eat those. God says, don't eat it. 
God says, don't eat it. And you know what? God says, like he said to Peter, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And that is the Baptist motto. <laughs> We're willing to try anything, right? Man, I've, I've tried a lot of stuff. I've, I've, I've tried some things and, uh, um, I've tried, uh, tried alligator, you know, tried, uh, buffalo and some other stuff. And some of it's good and some of it's like, mm, I think I'm going to go ahead and pass. But I'll tell you this, you don't let anybody judge you on it. Come along with the Word of God and try to bully you into something. You know what, you know why he's saying this? Don't let people, if you will, with their vain deceit and traditions of men, come alongside and get you to believe and follow after a doctrine that may be a form of legalism. Well, I don't eat bacon. Because that, that, that makes me a better Christian. Yeah. <laughs> There'd be some pretty staunch debate coming over here from this side, right? You know, people are like, well, well, that makes me more holy than you because I haven't eaten an unclean thing. And Chris says, well, then give me your portion. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll gladly take it. But could you imagine trying to, and Chris, I'm going to pick on you just for a minute. Could could you imagine trying to convince Chris that bacon was evil and saying that he was less of a Christian because he eats bacon? That, that That's the most ridiculous thing. That's the most ridiculous thing. Chris is a man that loves God. Chris is a man that that, that, that that desires to do what's right. Chris is a man that loves the Word of God. Chris is a man that loves coming to church. And somebody's going to judge them over a piece of meat? Something of the flesh? That's abominable. It causes division. It's about pride. Never judge somebody like that. And this is what he's getting at. He's like, this is going to get you to go after the wrong things. Why? Because you're focusing on bacon rather than focusing on Christ. And I know this about Chris. And and Chris, if I'm wrong, I'm sure you'll correct me, but I don't think you will. I'm sure Chris loves Christ more than he loves crispy bacon. He loves Christ. Now, that is the important thing. That is where it comes down to the root of the matter. And he says, don't let him do it about meat. Don't let him do it about drink. And again, this is, we're not talking about alcohol here, okay? Let's be very clear about that. God has some very, very distinct rules about alcohol. And he says... Avoid it. Steer clear of it. It causes problems. Alcohol causes a slew of problems. Proverbs talks about it. Well, take a little wine. No, don't even go there. 
You know what? I just read there was a several studies that said that women should absolutely not drink alcohol at all. Absolutely not, because it does so much damage to the female body. They, they, they gave a suggestion and they said, uh, men, men, look, we're finding out that alcohol is really not that good for you. I'm like, well, duh, read your Bible. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, but, but, but they're saying that they, 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 by far, men should maybe, maybe have three drinks a week of like, you know, six ounces. And they said women should limit it to at least two ounces, maybe maybe once a week or every other week. That's crazy. Why? Because they're coming out and they're saying, well, alcohol is not that good for you. Yet it's one of the most booming industries. But again, let's set aside alcohol because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about whether a person drinks water or whether they're drinking juices or they're drinking this or they're drinking that. And he says, don't let somebody judge you in that. Same situation. You're focusing on the wrong thing. It's not Christ. The same thing was as he goes through here a little bit further, further when he says, respect of a holy day, new moon or Sabbath days. Look, if somebody, if somebody in here said, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to, I'm going to do a Passover at my house. Be like, that's cool. Let me know what you do for the bitter herbs. You still going to set a plate out for Elijah? You know, things like that. They do that. They're like, well, I want to, I want to keep this feast, or I want to do that feast. And somebody's picking this feast, or another feast, or whatever it is. And somebody's like, well, I want the feast of unleavened. You know, I'm going to keep the feast of unleavened bread and. We're not going to have any leavened bread in our home and things of that nature or whatever it may be. Okay, fine. But look, all of those things, as he points out, those are all pointing to Jesus Christ. You go back through the Old Testament and you read those things of the Levitical law and you read everything about it from uh, from what they were doing to the sacrifices and the offerings and the tithes and the tabernacle and the temple and the garments and even down to the bells and the pomegranates on the borders of the priest's garment all pointed to who? Christ. Why? Because it's always been about him. This is about a king and his kingdom. That's what this book's about. And we find all of those things, and he says, look, don't let somebody do that in your life. Don't let somebody influence you to see something else other than Christ. And in verse 18, he gives the fourth warning here. He says, let no man, here we are again, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility in the worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. I will tell you today, I have heard more discussions about angels and guardian angels 
and angel this and angel that and angel, 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 all talking about spiritual things that as he says here, uh, which he hath not seen. And there's a reason why there's a veil between us and the spirit world. And I suggest you don't move it. Don't try to peek around it. And the people that have used alcohol and drugs to go around it and take a look at it, or whether it's a cult or whatever wicked practices of witchcraft and divination, and they take a look on the other side and they go, I don't, I, I can't unsee that. I can't unsee that. But you know what it is? It's vainly puffed up. You know what he's talking about? It's a pride issue. It's a pride issue. You need to worship this angel. You need to worship that angel. I saw a clip the other day, and it just almost made me gag. This guy gets up in this church, um, and uh, it's, I'll just say what the name of the church is. It's Bethel Church, if you know anything about that church. Uh, anything that comes out of there, you got to give it a good, hairy eye look, because that's... Uh, they're doing a baptism, and he pulls up this one gal, and she... He says, why are you being baptized today? Well, what's the reason a certain person's being baptized? Because they trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they want to do an open testimony to everybody that's out there that they've trusted Christ as their Savior, right? That's what that's about. And she gets up there and she's like, I'm being baptized because I believe that I'm a warrior for God and he's called me to be a warrior for his creatures and his, you know, the animal kingdom and I'm going to lead an army of angels to protect the animal kingdom. And she's crying through this thing and I'm like, what? And she's going to get baptized? Bro, she ain't saved. That's not salvation. Now, now, I say that very specifically because I know what Bethel teaches. And they don't teach salvation through Jesus Christ. They teach a form of humanism. Progressive Christian humanism. And I'll tell you that. i tell you this. Those words don't mix. They don't mix. But I'll, I'll, be, I'll be very clear here. There will people be people that will try to get you worshiping Something else other than Christ. So here he gives these four warnings, and all four warnings are, don't take your eyes off Jesus Christ. And as we get through it, and we'll start taking a look at these these verses that were in between, and again, I want to run roughshod over them because there's a great doctrinal principles that lie in there, uh, especially when you start taking a look at verse 5, and he's talking about uh, um, the, the order and the steadfastness of faith in Christ and all of those things. Those are all important principles that we're going to take a look at. But as we see here very clearly, Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. And we go back to that, and we go back to chapter 1 and verse 18, where it says, He is the head of the body of the church. No one else is. No one else is. Some guy gets up there and says he's God, run away. Run away. And he says, who is it, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That in all things he might have the preeminence. In every area of our lives, Jesus Christ is to have the preeminence. And very clearly, it comes down to the affections in our life. These are what these four warnings are about. The affections. 
What is it that's going to affect you? Is it going to be man or is it going to be Christ? And this is always, always, from the very beginning, as we see here with with Paul, it's always going to be a problem. It was a problem even in the Old Testament. It's been a problem from the beginning. Listening to someone else other than God. That's what got Eve in trouble, and that's what got Adam in trouble, right? Be very, very careful. And this is why he says... I want to warn you, because this stuff does happen. I have seen believers deceived over and over and over and over again. Be careful. Be very careful. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. We'll pick up those rest of those verses, Lord willing, next week, uh, talking about uh, those, uh, those principles and doctrines that are in between. But uh, I just wanted to get through those four warnings to understand exactly what Jesus, what, what uh, Paul's talking about in the preeminence of Christ. But let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. I thank you again for an opportunity to be in your word. I pray, Lord, that you just continue to uh, use these things that we've learned today and these principles, these warnings, Lord, to further um, uh, our, our growth in you that, Lord, we would desire to walk in you, that, Lord, you would be who we follow, you would be the preeminent in our life, in our areas of words, actions, thoughts, deeds, everything that we do. Thank you again for this time. Pray, Lord, you just continue to meet with us for the 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.